You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. I am Scott Lorbacher, hosting tonight in um, place of Stephen Igo, who is out on paternity leave from the Bucks on the Pod podcast. Um, congratulations to him and Erica on the birth of their daughter, um, Canon J, in case anyone was wondering what her name was. Um, two kids now for Igo, so he joins the Two Kid Club. If uh, For those of you keeping score at home, uh, I'm at two. I goes at two. Wagner is still looking for his first kid. Um, you can drop one off at his house whenever you're ready. <laughs> um, so what we're going to talk about this week, uh, what went wrong with ECU's one and three week? Um, started off on our midweek, typical uh, struggles against UNCW, losing nine to three. Then fly out to Houston. First time we've left the state this year. We lose a, a, an extra inning game, um, four to five and ten innings. And then come back and win on Saturday, five to four, another close game. And then unfortunately lose on Sunday to drop our first series of the year, four to six. Um, we gave up nine home runs this week. Um, we've only given up 23 all year. So 14 coming in through the first 25 games and nine over the last, um, sorry, through the first 24 games and then nine over our last four games. So what did you see, um, Jonathan, this week that? that um, you would describe as what went wrong? Well, I think something I always – I've said before, just with starting with the UNCW game, those games always, for whatever reason, just seem to be the most frustrating. And the same was true this week. It was at home this time. You know, coming in, a question I asked last week was, are ECUs maybe inconsistencies as of late more midweek related or are they more road related? Because – I didn't think it was a coincidence that a lot of those struggles early in the season did come on the road. And then ECU comes in, loses the OCW on Tuesday, and you're kind of like, well, okay, it's just a midweek problem. It's not a road problem. It's a midweek problem. And then you come back in in Houston, you lose two out of three. And I think, I really think that's the only way you can describe this week as a whole is just frustrating. And, and it's really all around, I think, for the first time this year. You know, the starting pitching was good, but the starting pitching wasn't as dominant as it's been earlier in the season. The bullpen was not sharp, I didn't think. Uh, you had to have some other guys step up. The bullpen was also used a lot more than it has been for really a, at least a month or so. Defensively, errors, inopportune errors at the wrong times. And offensively, I mean, just honestly looked lost at times, I thought. And all around, it was just inconsistent. It was frustrating. And it puts a team in a really interesting position of, you know, what comes next because you have to bounce back, and this is one heck of a week to do so. For sure. Um, if you look at the starting rotation, which has really been our strength, um, you only had just Savage go more than five innings, um, and he went six. Um, Spivey continues to not be able to go too deep into games, though he didn't pitch horrible. I thought he pitched pretty good. Um, and then Groves, I thought, pitched well. Uh, unfortunately, there was kind of a long inning there. Um, that's kind of a thing Houston's been doing for a while. They, they do play um, kind of mind games. I don't know if you want to call it that, but where they stall. Um, they used to be really bad about throwing over, you know, four or five times in key situations to kind of um, stall the hitter. And then they had several pitching changes that they, they put in a guy that wasn't even playing at one point. Um, so, you know, Houston's a frustrating team to lose to. Um, one thing that, that I, that I saw, um, against Houston, especially in the first two games is we weren't really working counts to get the starter out early. And I think that hurt us in game three, um, because up until this point in, in the third game of series, 
uh, we've been facing, you know, deeper into the bullpen guys for most of the teams we've played. Um, but that wasn't really the case with Houston. They were still in their in their top half of their bullpen, um, whereas with Liberty and Missouri State um, and the two Georges, we were able to get deeper into their bullpen by Sunday. And you really saw that play out where we scored, um, you know, a lot of runs without really um, having to hit a lot of home runs. Is that something that you saw as well, Tom? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the offense, it was just – all around inconsistent. And I think it's important to note, um, you know, the lineup looked different this weekend as well. I think for the past month or so, month or two, you've really been looking not just in the leadoff hole, not in the two hole, not in the four hole, not in the five hole and so on, but really everywhere. Nobody's really solidified in a spot. I think Jacob Jenkins coward is, I think he's hit probably as best as he has all season in the two hole. So I think if you're looking for a spot that's you know, kind of locked in right now. I think that's it. And I think that's the only one. And Josh more than at three, I still think you can move him around a little bit, but I mean, outside of those two spots, nobody's really stepped up to take control of any other spot in the order. And this weekend it was Carter Cunningham. He started all three games in left field, started all three games in the leadoff spot and Ryan McChrystal, he called all three games. Justin Wilcoxon did not play. Um, I go did say, on the Hoist of Colors message board that Justin Wilcoxon has been dealing with an injury. He's day-to-day right now is what Igo has heard. So we'll see what that looks like moving forward. But I think that's another storyline to follow as well. So you didn't have one of your top bats in there. But, you know, I mean, all around, I think Carter Cunningham in the leadoff spot, it was interesting. I was surprised it stuck that way. I'm surprised the lineup stuck so similarly Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, I think the only switch all weekend, Joey Brini started on Friday at shortstop, but Nathan Chrisman started Saturday and Sunday at shortstop. Brini came back in later on, but I think moving AMAC up to six on Saturday and Sunday was the only lineup order change of the weekend. And see, I was a little surprised by that, just since I did think the first couple of days, I wasn't really blown away by the offense, at least early on, which again has been a common theme. They kind of wait until it's almost even too late to turn the bats on. That's when they start working counts. And when they do get aggressive, they're killing the ball. And so it, it was, It was. I keep saying frustrating, but it was frustrating to see it. I think a couple of times, you know, we, we didn't see as much small ball, but when we did, I also think it, it didn't necessarily work out. And just, you know, you, you didn't get that big hit when you did it. And oh, for sure. yeah. time over time again this year, I think someone's come through with that hit. It might, it might not be a home run. That's not really the mind of this ECU team this year, I don't think. But this weekend, you didn't really get that big hit when you needed it, period. Whether it was a single or a double, you left a lot of guys on. So, yeah, I think that was just kind of the common theme offensively. For sure. Pirates have uh, 30 home runs on the season. Um, I think 15 of those were Wilcox in the first weekend. So, you know, just just over one a game, barely over one a game. So, um Let's jump into some of the questions that um, you guys submitted. Um, we'll start off with one from the Hoist the Colors message board. Uh, if you haven't joined up uh, and you're listening to the podcast, uh, now is a great time. Um, and tomorrow is also a great time. So anytime you want to do it, it would be great. Um, the Black Pearl asks, do you think Cliff Goblin will stick with this lineup and let them figure it out or try different lineups? And if you could set the lineup – what would it look like, Jonathan? What would what change would you make if you could set it up? I think I know the answer, but we'll see. What well, well, actually, I, I mean, my answer is, my answer is, I, I wouldn't set the lineup. I would keep it open, <laughs> and I don't know if that's where you expect me to go there. But you know, at this point, I think outside of you know a couple guys, I don't think there's one position that should necessarily be solidified, no questions asked. You know, and you know, there are guys that are going to be in a lot of every day. But, you know, I'd like to see – and we've, we've texted about this in our text thread all season long. You know, I'd like to see more, you know, days off kind of mixed in for guys, especially guys that are struggling. And I don't want to single anybody out because the offense as a whole has been inconsistent. But I look at third base, Alec Makarevich, he's hitting, I believe, 217 on the season, 219 Good. on the season. And so – He's, he's come through at times where he's come through with that clutch hit that I mentioned earlier. But overall, he's been inconsistent, and he's far from the only one. I mean, 
even the guys that, that are hitting 300, there are six of those guys on the team right now, including Carter Cunningham, Ryan McChrystal, Joey Barini, guys you might not expect to be up there. But to me, I would honestly, every other position other than maybe Jacob Jenkins, Cowart, and Josh Moylan and Jacob Starling, I would say you, you, you don't have this job locked up. You need to go out here and play for your job. And maybe, maybe that's a mindset that could do more damage than help. But I think you're at the point where you kind of have to start trying other things. And what that means, I don't know. Whether it's that Dick, Dixon Williams coming in and getting some more at-bats, Cam Burgess, Cam Clonch, I think that's something I would tinker with. And then on that same note, I think it's important to remember, you know, when these guys are coming in and pinch hit opportunities, maybe once a week, twice a week, one at-bat, it's very tough for them to get going. So their numbers right now might not look how you'd expect. If you're looking at the stat sheet for those guys that you want to see more at bats, I look at Cam Clonch. At one point he was hitting over 300. He's down to 257 right now. But, you know, at this point it was just, you know, start throwing darts, see what sticks, whether that's with the batting order, whether that's with your nine guys that are in the lineup. But to me, I think you're at the point where you kind of have to start experimenting a little bit and finding something that works because whatever's been going offensively the past couple of weeks is not. For sure. There's uh, three guys that have started every game. They're uh, JJC, um, who is batting 318 um, with a 361 on base percentage. Jacob Starling batting 299, um, getting on base at a 432 clip. And then Alec Makarevich, who is uh, he's batting 219, but he's still getting on base. Um, he's, his on base percentage is uh, three, four, five. So um, he's finding a way on. You might be surprised to hear that he gets on base just just a little bit less than JJC is right now. Um, but yeah, I think for me, um, if I can make a change, um, you know, obviously we got to find a leadoff guy. Um, you know, Nowak um, when when he was doing it, it seemed like his average dipped a little bit, and now it's kind of he's come back around. Um, we tried JJC and it didn't work out. I think, like you said, I think in the two holes, the best spot for him, um, maybe give Starling a, a week at it, see how that looks. I know we don't like to do that because he is our primary right-handed bat at this point. Um, but I do think that he is, he has the best approach. He, um, leads the team in on-base percentage right now at 432. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Jay, uh, sorry, uh, Jacob Starling lead off. Um, for at least a few games. Uh, and then I, yeah, I do think that AMAC uh, maybe getting Dixon Williams some at-bats at third um, just to see what that looks like wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, and AMAC's versatile, too. If you want to keep him in the lineup, he can play right. Um, he could play um, shortstop, though. The, I think the way Barini's played to this point, I, have, I would have a hard time taking him out of the lineup, too. Um, so, yeah, let's go to our next question. Uh, let's see here. Parker Pirate asked uh, to discuss our hitting approach at the plate. Why all the slash fake bunt get behind in the count at bats? He's coached baseball his whole life, and he doesn't get why we do it. Are we trying to extend at bats, run pitch counts up, lower angle for batter's eye? Uh, what is – to sum up the rest of the question, what is the, the methodology behind it? Um, so I'll, I'll take a stab at it first. I think some of it is um, sometimes when you're scheduling a take, right, you, you want – guys to go up there and take a pitch. Um, you maybe want to throw the pitcher off of his rhythm, so you fake bunt on a pitch that you're taking anyway. So while it looks like a fake bunt, really it's just a do something while the pitcher is in his windup um, to maybe aid getting a ball. It's not so much that you're you're really attempting a bunt. It's a, you know, throw the bat out there and then pull it back. So maybe the umpire gives you a ball that's on the edge or, or something like that. Um, and you're just changing the pitcher's sight line. Um, uh, the slashes, you're just trying to get the defense in motion to maybe get a ball that goes through. Um, but I, I would say this year, I think we've done less of that than we've done, you know, in the last three or four years. I'm actually surprised because I think we have a team that it, that is something that we would be better at this year than we have been in the past. What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think. You know, if if you look at this time last year and given the struggles early last year, if you look you look forward to calendar year and you're hearing us talk about, you know, maybe we should see more slash bunts or you'd think we're crazy, but I think it's not the craziest thing in the world. And, you know, obviously that's a double-edged sword, but 
yeah, I do think this this team, at least with the lineup how it is right now, that's kind of how it's built. And I'm not a baseball coach. You know, I trust Cliff Goddard. I trust his staff. But to me, when 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 I'm sitting there in the stands or I'm watching on TV, it's even when guys aren't, you know, necessarily showing bunt on first pitch of an at-bat, and it's always first pitch of an at-bat, a lot of times they're just watching that first pitch down the middle. And to me, that's the most frustrating part because I think – at, at some point, teams catch on to that. And a lot of times, that's going to, it's oftentimes straight down the middle, I've found. And maybe I'm just, you know, recency bias and that's how I'm remembering it because, you know, the frustration's there. But I do think a lot of times that first pitch of the at bat to ECU hitters right now is a fastball right down the middle of the plate. And you're either showing butt and pulling it away or you're watching it. Either way, you're down a one. And I think, when you automatically set yourself up to be down a one, I think it puts so much more pressure on these guys because then the next, say you take a borderline pitch on the second pitch of an at bat, boom, you're down. Oh, two. Maybe you get one, one, maybe you work it back. It's you're not out of it just because you take strike one, but I do think it kind of sets you up in a position to not necessarily do what you want to. And I think it's something that should be looked at. And again, I, I'm not behind the scenes. I don't know if, if that is necessarily what's happening, if Cliff's telling them, you know, take first pitch, maybe it's with some guys, but to me, that's what I see. And I just, I don't like starting behind and it feels like that's what they're doing almost every at bat right now. Yeah. If you look at Amax last home run, it was a first pitch fastball right down the middle and he, he had a long ways. So I think mixing it up where we do have a little bit of more aggression on um, the first pitch of the at bat, as well as being patient later in the, in the count, um, you know, to work counts because it is a balance. If you go up there and swing at the first pitch of every at bat, um, you know, you could, you could be seeing, you know, five, six pitch innings and all of a sudden it's the fourth inning and their starter has 34 pitches. So it is, it is a delicate balance. Um, and one that, that it has been a bit of a struggle to see us watch pitches right down the middle. Um, I believe Moylan had an at bat where he was two Oh, um, and he, you know, took two pitches that, that, were you know not awful pitches they but they weren't strikes and then on 2-0 he just watches a ball float right down the middle of the plate and that's one where you know I want to see him attack on 2-0 um instead of you know let's get this count to 3-2 and foul off four pitches have a nine pitch at bat um you know we talk about quality at bats a lot um and I think they're important but I think also hit swinging at the best pitch of the at bat the most hittable pitch is also important as well. Um, if you look through our lineup, we have five guys <clears throat> that start that have 20-plus strikeouts right now, So, um, and another one with 19 uh, through 28 games. So nobody's striking out more than once a game. Um, I think uh, Moylan is at 27 through 28 games. Obviously, he hadn't played in all the games because he did have that suspension. So um, those numbers aren't great, but they're not as bad as it might feel like because I think sometimes some of our strikeouts have come um, in key situations like at Campbell um, or the end of, I think, game three. Uh, I think that game ended on a strikeout as well. Um, which uh, Red Fishing Pirate asks, why do we treat the entire bat as if we are 2-0 count? Uh, the pitcher must throw us our pitch in our location. Um, so I guess he's saying that we look like we're looking <clears throat> at every – at bats from the beginning as if we're in a uh, hitter's count when that's not always the case. I would agree. I, I think that that could definitely be the case where um, we're not swinging at pitches that are borderline on two, one, and then you get behind two, two and hitting with two strikes is much more difficult than hitting with one strike. Um, so yeah, I, w- I would like to see some of our guys um, start attacking on pitches that are, you know, maybe a little bit more borderline um, and, taking balls the other way for singles and doubles and things like that. Yeah, I agree. And with a, with a, you know, treating the at-bat like it's 2 no count, I think that's a really good point because that's, that's kind of how I see it because when it does feel like, you know, like, like the commenter said, you know, you're looking for a specific pitch in a specific location. And to me, you know, that's not a full green light. And I feel like if you're starting an at-bat, not in a full green light, again, you're, kind of setting up to not succeed because you're not starting with a 2-0 count. And if you're going into an at-bat acting like you are, then it's a lot of times it's not going to go how you want it to. 
So yeah, I would like to see just an approach change. And again, I think we're still kind of seeing the lineup formulate and seeing who falls into what spot. And that takes time. Last year, the lineup wasn't set until very late into the season. Zach Agnos didn't become a leadoff hitter until very late until the regular season last year. And he took that by storm just because you don't have Zach, a Zach Agnos or Bryson Worrell on this team does not mean that someone can't step up into that role. And obviously it's a different team, but as we saw last year and this can go far beyond hitting and hitting approaches, but we all remember where, where we were and what we were talking about at this point last year. At this point, I was talking about ECU is not even going to make the tournament. And when someone would say, oh, they're, you know, I'd be having a conversation and someone would say, yeah, they're going to they're gonna turn it around. And they're going to turn it around. They're going to win. They might make it as a three or a four. And I said, no, I don't think they are. And we, we know how that story ended. So just because this week was frustrating and maybe the midweeks have been frustrating this year, but there's a lot of baseball left to be played. If last year's team taught me anything, especially with this program, it's that you can never count them out. And this year we're saying that with 20 wins going into the second week in a conference play, and you could not say that last week. So uh, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button necessarily. For sure. Winning five out of every seven games, you know, I think that that is an important perspective to keep in mind. Um, so Pirate Treasure, um, who posts some some cool picture threads on Hoist the Colors, ask um, coaching or players for some of the defensive guests. Most of the guys, most of these guys aren't new to playing, but might be uh, might not be in the best spots for defense. Um, so, if you don't know, we've committed nine errors this week. Gave up nine home runs and uh, committed nine errors, which is definitely not a recipe for success. Um, we've only committed twenty five on the year in twenty eight games. So. Um, the almost well over a third of our errors this year came in the last four games. Um, one thing I'll say about that is we are we're playing on a turf field in Houston that, to me, just as a as a casual viewer, looked like it played a lot quicker than some of the other fields we've played on this year. Definitely quicker than ours. Um, there was a play to Starling, the the one that preceded the home run uh, that Groves gave up in Game Three where the ball just looked like it got on him a lot quicker than he was expecting. Um, one thing that's positive about that is we won't ever play in Houston again, I wouldn't think. So that's good news. Um, but, yeah, and for the most part, most of our games are played on dirt and grass and not turf. Um, so, yeah, what do you think, John? Yeah, I think the and a lot of times, you know, ECU has made errors this season, and I think it's been a storyline – at some point before, not to the extent I think it was this week, but before the season, you know, or earlier in the season, when the ECU did make errors, they got out of it, and it didn't come back to bite them. And I think this weekend, those errors are magnified because it did come back to bite them. You know, that Starling error, and it was just an inopportune play. Unfortunate, it happens. But the next batter hit a two-run shot, and I believe Houston took the lead on it or tied the game. I can't remember the situation at that point. But either way, it came back to bite him. And that ended up being, I think, Josh Gross's last inning. You know, yep. it was. So that that was that was a little just unfortunate. But I mean, again, that's baseball. I do I do think it's important that what this was the first weekend playing on turf. And it is different. Not only fielding balls, balls coming up on you faster, because even in the outfield you saw just one hot balls to say Riley Johnson in center field. It seems like that bounce was just so far and so fast and it got on him so quick, but even infielders setting your feet, I believe um, AMAC had a throw a ball to third, tried to throw to second for a force out and he kind of sailed it in the right field. And I think, you know, it's different setting your feet as well and on turf compared to dirt. So again, it, just, it came back to Biden this week. That hasn't happened all year, but it did and it will at some point, but Again, it happens, but I, I don't think it's necessarily, you know, guys aren't in the best spots to play defensively. Are there a couple alignment things I might do differently? Yeah, of course. But that would be a whole another podcast just talking about that alone. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I, I could understand why you might ask about defensive alignment. Um, this being the first year of the pitch clock, there's less time to make those adjustments in between 
at bat. So, um, you know, I think that would be an interesting question to Cliff and, and the coaching staff about how the, the pitch clock has affected them as a whole. Um, you know, because we were very much a team that used a lot of defensive signals um, and a lot of offensive signals, too, um, where he would relay things to batters, you know, even with no one on base. Um, so I, I am curious how much the pitch clock has has affected us from an offensive and defensive standpoint, um, because it seems to have not affected us at all on the mound. Um, you look at your Savage and Spivey and Gross. They all seem to really like to work quicker, um, <clears throat> kind of like the way that um, – oh, now I'm blanking on his name. <laughs> Gavin Williams. Uh, left-handed pitcher from – threw a perfect game. Cooch. Yeah, Cooch Man. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm sorry, yeah. Cooch Man. It's like one of my favorite <laughs> players all the time. <laughs> In my head, I kept thinking of Jake Peavy, so uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but, yeah, so I, I would be curious to see how much the new rules have affected us in, in, in those regards because it's not something that, as a fan, you sit in the stands, you watch the game, you don't see those things all the time. Um, but now they're not in place for us. Um, and, you know, the rules are the same for everybody, um, but sometimes rule, rule adjustments affect one team more than another. Um, one question that was asked, I thought was interesting that I don't know how much you and I can speak to it, Jonathan, but, uh, somebody asked who on this team could step up as a leader, AMAC, Moylan, Star, Hoover, Spivey, et cetera, all feel like really reserved people who lead by example. Uh, there isn't an outgoing present, uh, like Agnes was last year. That was from Pirate 2024 on the uh, Hoist the Colors message board. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, even watching post-game interviews. Um, you could feel the passion and just energy from Agnos through those last year. Um, watching them this year, I don't know that I've gotten that same sense. Uh, and that's not to say that's not a knock on anybody on this team, um, you know, because obviously we're not in the locker room all you know, at all, really. So we don't we don't know how they interact with each other. We don't know who holds other people accountable off the field. Uh, in the dugout during practice we don't we don't know all that but I, I don't know if we have that big personality personality like Agnos was last year um JJC feels like he would be that kind of guy um but I haven't you know he's he's still a sophomore um I haven't really felt that out from him to this point um have you gotten any sort of sense of that big personality that might be able to be a natural leader yeah, I think that um, JJC is kind of the obvious, you know, thought there. But I agree, you know, he's he's still young and I think he's still growing into that role. But I, th I think someone who maybe you wouldn't expect to be the name here, but someone that I think has that potential and has that potential very quickly is Ryan McChrystal. And I think to me it's – and every home game where I'm able to, I'm, I'm there early. I'm watching BP. I'm watching in and out and Ryan McChrystal, even when he was hurt, he was always there, and he's just, he's, al he's always smiling. He's got that Zachos Agnes smile, and, you know, he's smiling all the time, kind of a, you know, maybe a jokester. That's kind of the, the vibe I get from him, and, you know, even when he wasn't in the lineup, I feel like he made an impact that way, and you see it now, now that he's in the lineup, when he comes through with, say, it usually happens when he comes through with a double. He does hit a lot of doubles, but you know, when he's on second base, you know, everyone kind of has their thing they do. But, I mean, every time ECU posts a video just replaying the McChrystal celebrations after a double, I crack up every time. So I feel like he's he, he's a guy that could kind of step up into that role. And I think he's one of those guys. He doesn't have to be in the lineup every day to be that guy. And, you know, JJC, Josh Moreland could be. But I, I think a lot of the rest of the players on the team are kind of that reserve type of guy. Trey Savage fits into that mold as well. So it's interesting. But, yeah, we're not we're not in the dugout, but it, it does feel like, you know, that is a big void to fill. And I'm interested, I would be interested to know, you know, after the fact, you know, how much that was missed in a year like this. Sure. Um, next question we'll get to is um, this team really isn't a travel team. Does that concern you if we're a two-seed regional team from Forever Pirate PG? Um 
Yeah, I, I think that does concern us because I think our team is very much built um, for our stadium um, and and much more so for our stadium uh, as it gets warmer and the ball starts to fly out of right field. Um, if you look at what happened to us this weekend, um, you saw a lot of uh, left field home runs from Houston, a lot of balls that really that, that three-run homer that gave them the lead in game three, I don't think anybody – I don't think that um, Lopez, when he hit it, I don't think he thought that was a home run. I don't think anybody watching the game thought that was a home run. I didn't even when it hit the foul pole and you saw it bounce down. I just assumed it had hit the wall because I didn't. You know, it's kind of hard to see the ball hit the foul pole sometimes. But yeah, I was waiting for Cunningham to turn around and just like ask them why they thought that was a home run, and then all of a sudden you see him trying around the bases and. and they show the replay and it, it hits the foul pole. So it, it did feel like, you know, Houston was built for their stadium. Um, they had a lot of big right-handed bats that, you know, they swung hard and they connected a few times this weekend. Um, and then their pitching staff kept us hitting to um, right field. There was a ball JJC hit in game three that was as hard hit a ball as I have seen him hit this year and it hit off the wall. And I think he did come around to score that um, that inning, but it's it really surprised me that ball. I, when he hit it, I was like, oh, that's gone. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's gone in Greenville for sure. Um, so, yes, if we can't if we can't hold on to a host spot, um, and we'll talk about that more here in a second, but um, depending on where we go, yeah, it does concern me. Um, you know, you look at Chapel Hill. If somehow we end up as they're the sixteen, we're the two in their regional. Um, their stadium plays shorter to left and longer to right. So, yeah, I mean, we could definitely be in a situation where we're not in a stadium set up for us to succeed. Yeah, and obviously we all we all know that the impact that this crowd and Clark Leclerc has. You know, it's it, it might be cliche sometimes, but. At ECU and in Clark Leclerc Stadium, it does matter, and you you can't you can't convince me otherwise because I do believe it's a fact. And I mean, the crowd—I literally do believe that the crowd is capable of willing ECU to victory. And I think it's a I think it's you know good timing that you know th- this conversation comes up right after the vocal leader question. And I think where you might be lacking in—and again, we don't know vocal leader wise, we don't know, but say you are, I think that makes it that much important for the crowd to play an impact. And we see it late inning rallies. All it takes is a walk. All you need is a guy, just a little, the tiniest bit of momentum and the crowd just erupts and the team feeds off of that. And once it gets to the postseason, that's only heightened. So I do think it makes a difference. You know, if ECU is hosting, pretty much no matter what the field is, I'm picking them to win. And a lot of that has to do with the crowd and being at home. But if ECU goes on the road, you know, I'm less confident. And how much that truly comes to impact, it, it does matter on where they're playing, who they're playing against. But to me, home field advantage is a literal thing in Greenville. And this ECU baseball team, I think, is a living proof of that. For sure. In college sports, home field advantage isn't always a thing. Um, you saw that in Houston. I mean, there was a lot more chairs than people there. Um and you saw it in Greenville when we were playing UNC. And as it got late and we started getting base runners, you really started to feel the crowd kind of lean on the Tar Heels. And, you know, we came through and we won that game. Um, so, yeah, I, personally, I, I really hope we're, we're hosting in Greenville because I think that for sure gives us the best chance to advance to the next round. Um, and, you know, whether that's as an eight seed, a 12 seed, or a 16 seed, I don't think it really matters as long as we're hosting. I'd much rather host than not host, even if it means we're the 16 seed and we have to go to Baton Rouge in the second in the super regional rounds. I'd still rather that than be the two seed in like the you know the the four regional in Wake Forest, for example. Um, so we have one more question from the message board, um, and then we'll start hitting some of our our Twitter questions. It is from Stephen Igo, who is a uh, longtime listener of the show, um, shortly after it's recorded, uh, he asked if I am still feeling 45 and 11, 
And I'll say to him, never in doubt. That's what I replied with on the message board. And that's what I'll say now. Um, Wags, I think you were at 43 and 13. I was. How are you feeling about your prediction? I'll admit, you know, maybe not as confident just because I do think the road concern playing on the road is a serious concern in my eyes and the offense is a serious concern. But ECU's pitching staff, starting pitching staff is elite. There's no other way to put it. And to me, when you have an elite pitching staff, you're going to win baseball games. So 43 and 13, I'm not as confident as I was maybe three weeks ago, but I still believe it's a very, very real possibility. Agreed. I like it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So those are all the questions that we had from the message board. Wanted to make sure we got to you guys first because you are the most important people to the Bucks on the pond. Um, now we'll jump over to Twitter. Um, let's see here. Our first question that we had was from Davis Cersei. He asked about third base with AMAX continuing to struggle. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I know we would, um, both Jonathan and I have talked about Dixon Williams a lot this year and wanted to see him getting some at bats. Um, Skull Pirate, um, friend of the program, I guess, uh, <laughs> asked, why does Godwin pull JJC out of games when it's only a two-run game? Uh, and maybe folks aren't as aware, but I, I believe he has a, a quad injury that's been discussed that has limited him as, in some capacity. Um, you know, if you look at this weekend, injuries um, to some key spots have started to pile up. Um, you have AMAC has had a wrist injury that he's dealt with all year. The backs of both Wilcoxon and McChrystal, um, Root, uh, Root has been limited, I guess. We haven't really seen him in a couple weeks. Um, obviously, Saylor has his uh, oblique injury. Um, and then, am I leaving anybody else? I think that's everybody. But those are those are five pretty key players, wouldn't you say, Jonathan? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and then the catcher position, too. I think, obviously, Ryan McChrystal early in the year with his back and then we mentioned Justin Wilcoxon earlier. He's kind of dealing with a little bit of a, an injury himself right now and his day to day. So, you know, it, it creates an catching, catching wise specifically. I mean, that's a heck of a situation right there. Cause you know, before this weekend, you know, Cliff Godwin had talked a lot about, you know, if Ryan McChrystal's catching Justin Wilcoxon will not DH because if Ryan McChrystal gets hurt, then you don't want to lose your DH spot and have to pitcher to hit if you move Wilcox from the catcher. Cause I don't think Nick Delisi is quite there yet in their eyes, maybe to play meaningful innings. And I'm sure he could, if you needed him to, but I think there's a drop off between your top two guys to him. And I think that's an interesting way to look moving forward because now with Wilcox and not hundred percent McChrystal, he's playing. This was his first weekend playing every game. We'll see how he bounces back from that. I think it'll be really important, but now you're at a point that could affect your lineup every day moving forward. I mean, you might you might not have one of your two catchers at DH at all. So it opens up more opportunities for Luke Nowak to kind of take that spot back. It opens opportunities for other guys. And then pitching-wise, you know, Willie Lumpkin early in the year also was out with arm soreness. Now you mentioned Garrett Saylor. You know, Zach Root wasn't here. And, you know, other guys have had to step up. And it's a long baseball season. Pitching-wise especially, having guys ramp up that quickly – 
especially early in the year, first half, you know, those injuries tend to pile up. And I think now it's starting to catch up a little bit. And God, this weekend, I felt like there was one game in specific. I don't remember which one. It may have been Saturday, but I just feel like play after play, like someone was getting hurt. You know, McChrystal took a foul ball. We'll, we'll call it the midsection. Took a foul ball there and was in some obvious pain. And then, like, the next inning, that play at third, AMAC fields a ball that was thrown in from the outfield, and he came up a little short. I couldn't tell what that was, but he was in some discomfort there as well. So, you know, injuries, it's something that obviously is going to play a factor every season, but I think we kind of got lucky early in the year, maybe compared to previous years as well. And now it's starting to catch up, but it's creating opportunities for other guys, and that's something we've been talking about for weeks. We want to see guys get opportunities, and now they're getting the chance to do so. For sure. Um, you also had Starling took a ball off the thigh, and I'm sure he has a, a, a fantastic bruise right now. And then he did the same thing to the ball, I believe, on two pitches later. He he hit that ball about as hard as you can hit a baseball. Um, yeah, it kind of felt like with Houston, um, it was the tale of, of two sides of the injury bug is they were getting a lot of guys back, um, a lot of guys that were finally healthy, and then we were having – our first little bout of, of the injury bug. And don't forget, Sailor had like an illness earlier this year where he lost a ton of weight, um, and he was working back from that only to to get um, his oblique injury that he has. Um, Skullpired also asked, realistically, where should ECU be ranked? Is this a host team or a two-seed team? And we talked about the difference um, for us as far as being a host or um, being a two-seed somewhere. Um, but as far as the actual – or is our ranking of 12th in D1, um, I think we're 15th in perfect game. And then kind of, uh, I think the NCBWA had us at 12. Another poll had us at 15. Collegiate baseball, I think they just put us on the bottom somewhere. I don't know what they're doing. Um, they, he probably ran out of big league chew and was grumpy. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I I think one thing that I've noticed is there's a lot of people that are like, oh, we're not this good or, oh, we're not the 12th ranked team. Well, how many other teams have you realistically watched? Um, I would encourage people out there. I know baseball is kind of a long game. It's shorter now with the pitch clock, so that's good. Um, watch some other games. Um, if we have a day game and there's, um, you know, ESPN Plus has hundreds of games on every night. And tell me if you think we are – deserving of our ranking or not you know watch some sec schools um they're really great environments they're really fun to watch um so as far as our ranking goes though i'll say our pitching staff is as good as anybody's in the country um you look at your savage he's a first round pick caliber guy um grows is getting to that way uh, he pitched five really good innings um gave up one earned run this weekend um i think maybe that error um, had some effect on him. I, I think it's tough when you, you see a ground ball go to second and you're like, I'm out of the inning, and you kind of let that air out. You kind of take that breath and then have to refocus immediately. I think that can be tough on guys. Um, and then Spivey is the reigning conference pitcher of the year. Um, and he's like, at this point, he's like our third guy in our rotation. I know he still starts on Saturdays, but we'll see if that changes up this week with the, the week being different. So, um, yeah, I think 12 is probably fair to this point in the season. I would remind people that we have 20 wins. We're 20 and eight. There's not a lot of teams with 20 wins. Um, our schedule, while it's not a bunch of Kentuckys and Missouris and Georgias, it's still very good teams. Um, if you look at the state of North Carolina, there's a ton of teams that are ranked. Uh, there's a ton of teams that are really good that aren't ranked. Uh, the Elons and UNCWs of the world. Um, for me, yeah, I, I had us anywhere from 12 to 15 uh, coming into today when the poll came out. Um, what about you, Jonathan? Yeah, I completely agree. 12 to 15 is where I kind of expected. I wouldn't have been mad if ECU fell down to 15, just given, you know, Houston. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have been upset over that. But I think it's a fair range. Again, it's look at what ECU has done, how well they've played on the weekends coming into this weekend and you, you you don't just ignore that just because maybe they played bad for one week 
do, should they drop? Yes, and they did. They dropped four spots. They weren't. They were number eight. They were in the top ten. They shouldn't be there anymore. Twelve to fifteen, I think, is completely fair, completely reasonable. But I think if you're looking, and obviously nobody's looking for ECU to fall for, fall further. No one wants ECU to fall further. The sky's falling in some people's eyes. But I think you're not there yet. I think if these struggles continue, then then you're at a point where you can say, okay, maybe they should be farther down. But right now, 12 to 15, I think is perfectly reasonable. And again, I wouldn't have been upset if it was maybe a little lower, but yeah, I I don't have any complaints about where they're at. And I think it's overall pretty deserved, especially when you look at the teams around them and what they did this week, especially. For sure. Yeah. And I think that was something that people maybe didn't notice or know about the teams behind us. Um, between the teams ranked five through 12, only two of those teams won series. Uh, I think 11 teams this week were two and two or worse on the week. And I think eight, seven or eight lost series um, in the top 25. So if you're going to pick a week to have a bad week, this was the, the week to do it where there's enough chaos to where you don't lose a ton of ground. And the other thing I'll say is um, five of our losses have been in true road games. One was a, uh, a neutral site game. Uh, and f- four of our eight losses were by one run, two of those in extra innings. I mean, you're looking at, you know, a ball bouncing the other way a couple times in a couple different games from being 22 and six or uh, 23 and five. And if that's the case, we're probably ranked seventh or eighth. So, um, you know, obviously this week wasn't great. It wasn't good. Uh, we're going to move forward to the next week. We have a new opportunity in a new week. We have four home games. We played really well at home. Uh, we have, in the coaches' poll, a top 25 matchup uh, with NC State being number 25 in that poll. I would, they're probably right outside the D1 poll, if I had to guess. Um, they're also, I believe, 20 and 8 now. Let me just look. Yes, they are 20 and 8. So two 20 and 8 teams. Their RPI is 8. Um, we got Root on the mound, getting him back in, in action to start that game. But it's a game that's going to be probably pretty heavily heavily reliant on our bullpens. Um, so, you know, there's some guys in our bullpen that I'd like to see bounce back. Um, Tyler Brock specifically. Um, there was times this year he's been lights out. Uh, he and Root both at the beginning of the year, I think we thought were going to be guys that we could look to in those key situations. Uh, and more recently it's been Lumpkin and Lunsford Schinkman um, filling those roles. So um, what are your thoughts on the bullpen right now, Jonathan? Yeah, I think it's an inter- it's an interesting spot. I think the past couple of weeks, the bullpen has been kind of a second thought because you didn't need the bullpen to be a first thought because the starting pitching was going seven, six, at the absolute worst five innings a game. And when you do that, you're, you're usually winning and you can usually piece things together. And this week, you know, even you Savage, you went six innings, you went probably maybe an inning earlier than you would have liked. But I think it was a case of, you know, a couple of guys stepped up and I think a couple of guys took a step back. And I think it's really interesting. I think to me, um, you know, Wyatt Lundgren-Shankman, he's been the guy. And he pitched twice this weekend. And I don't think he had his best stuff. He got hit a little bit. I don't think he was terrible. I, I'm not concerned. But he wasn't as dominant as he's been over the last couple of weeks. And I think the same thing with Eric Ritchie. He's been kind of up and down. He's been a lot better than his number show. And I think he was a lot better this weekend than his number show. But he was another guy who I think took a little bit of a step back this week. And I think when you're looking at the bullpen, the guys stepping back, I think Tyler Brott is an interesting one. You know, came into the year probably expecting to be one of those backing bullpen guys. He's got the stuff. And earlier in the year, he was as good as advertised. And I think the past couple of weeks, he, he went through a stretch of a couple of weeks. He really didn't pitch. And ever since then, he's come back and he hasn't really had a truly effective outing since then. So you've lost and he's still pitching, but you've lost one of your, you know, reliable go to back in bullpen norms. And I think that's important, but I, I don't think it's all bad because you look at this weekend, you know, Landon Ginn is back. Landon Good is pitching. Landon Ginn is pitching well. He's got really good stuff. He's pitched three times, I believe, since he's came back twice this weekend, twice this week. I mean. And he gave up the homer, a couple homers against Houston. But again, the stuff was really, really good. And Landon, again, I think is, if you're talking about the guy stepping back, 
you know, like if Tyler Brown doesn't have it for a week, if White Lunch with Shankman doesn't have it for a week, I think Landon Ginn is that next guy who you can step up and at the very least try. Because again, it's the same thing we talked about with the offense. You're at the point to where if guys aren't getting you out to the end of games, someone else is going to come in and try. And I think Danny Beal is another really good example of that. Danny Beal, again, didn't really pitch that much over the past month. And he pitched twice this weekend. He got a save on Saturday and the only win pitched an inning in the third, I believe. And he looked, I mean, shut down almost. He, he was back to being the Danny Beal we, we, we've known to come and love, you know. He's changed up his arm slot. He's difficult to pick up on. And he's a very good change of pace guy, whether he's following a Yes Savage out of the bullpen, a Spivey out of the bullpen, because I think he's a similar mold to Carter Spivey. I love him coming after him because Spivey, he's a traditional pitcher. He's not going to blow you away, but he's got a lot of movement. But he's still got a good fastball, 92, 93. But then Danny Beal, he's just so versatile. You know, when Danny Beal has his good stuff, you know, he can go over the top 92, 93. He can come from the side of the fastball, probably 90, and then his off speed is good when he's locating it. And I thought Danny Beal took a very big step forward this week. And, you know, it's been kind of a long rant. But, again, I think it's just, it's the same theme at, in the bullpen as it is offensively, as it is defensively, as it is every, everywhere. It's – baseball season is a long season you're not going to have your same guys that are going to come through in every single moment. So other guys have to step up. And I think we're at a point in the bullpen to where, and I didn't even mention Zach Root and he's got, he hasn't pitched in a couple of weeks. He didn't pitch this week and he's your starter on Tuesday against NC state. He'll be on the bump, probably go two to three innings, but he's another guy. I think tomorrow's a very important game for Zach Root. It's early in the year. Again, he was one of your go-to guys, whether it was out of the bullpen, whether it was starting midweeks. And he had a couple of outings. I don't think he was as bad. Again, I don't think he, um, Zach Root was as bad as people might be you know, saying he was. But a couple opportunities, short opportunities, I'll say as well. You know, walk a guy, face a batter, face two batters, he's out of the game. So I'm really interested to see how he steps up on against NC State on Tuesday. and probably go two to three, but I'm looking for him to pitch well, get his confidence back, and then become another guy that you can hopefully trust out of the bullpen on weekends because, again, you're still – you're looking for everybody. All they hope you can get, you will take, and guys have to step up. And we saw glimpses of that, and we saw why it's important as well. For sure. Uh, Danny Bill went two and two-thirds this week, didn't give up a run, including two innings pitched against Houston – and picked up a save, even though they called him Tyler Brock the whole time during <laughs> while he was in the game. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> having watched NC State some this year, uh, their bullpen uh, has not looked great at times. They don't really have a ton of guys that throw hard, um, which scares me a little bit. Um, and I, I want to say they're, they're more right-handed than left-handed. So um, that should be a factor. It looks like the weather – I just pulled it up and then went away. Hold on. So 77 at game time is the is the weather for tomorrow in Greenville. So that's going to be nice if you can't make it out there. Uh, game is on ESPNU, so a nationally televised game as well. Um, it's a chance to showcase uh, Clark LeClaire to a national audience, which is always really cool. Um, and it's in Greenville, so we'll get we'll you know hopefully get more of a you know home broadcast vibe than if it was on ACC Network and at uh, Doak. So, uh, you know, hopefully the Pirates can bounce back from this weekend tomorrow. Uh, and then coming in this weekend, we have a UCF team that I think is a little bit similar to Houston in that they have talent and they have ability, but their record might not indicate how good they are. Um, you know, I think they're – let me just pull them up again. Hold on. 17-11. So, you know, they are – Record-wise, the best team that we have left. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they're better or worse than Houston. I haven't watched them a ton. Um, their announcers are terrible. Uh, so anytime I watch them, I just mute it. But um, luckily, that one's at home, so we get our guys. Uh, they play Miami coming in uh, on Tuesday. They are currently uh, UCF is five and zero against the ACC this year. They they swept Clemson and. Uh, midweek against Florida State. Um, I'm sure they'll get up for Miami as well. Uh, and then they come into Greenville 
uh, six and two currently against quad one teams. So they've played really well against their best opponents. They've played a lot worse against um, teams that aren't quite as good. Um, so what are, what are your thoughts on this series, uh, Jonathan? And do you consider Thursday night's series opener a midweek game? I I do not. I, I consider it a weekend. You know, a weekend might be traditionally considered Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it is a three-game series. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's still a weekend in my eyes. But uh, looking at it, I, I think it's a very important weekend. Obviously, Tuesday against NC State is a big game. And for a lot of reasons. I think, again, prove that you are not just cursed on midweeks. And, again, you're just in need of a win. Uh, bounce back. Home crowd, you know the weather's going to be perfect. The crowd's going to be in it on Tuesday night. So you're going to have the crowd behind you. We've talked a lot about that tonight. And everyone's going to be – You have to, if you're not fired up to play that game, then you shouldn't be playing. So I think they're going to come out strong. I think they're going to be fired up. And then UCF is very important. ECU does not want to lose another weekend series and start off two and four on the American. Yeah, I don't, you really can't. You can't afford to do that. And especially, you know, you want to win that one. You'd like to sweep it if you can. But UCF is always that kind of gritty team. They're always going to play you close. They're always going to piss you off. And my personal nemesis, Tom Johnson, is still on the team. Tom Johnson. And I'm looking at the stats right now. It looks like they're a little – they're definitely top heavy. They have their guys, you know, Ben McCabe, especially he's been here forever and leads the team 11 homers, 51 home runs as a team. So they can swing the stick. And, and obviously I'm not going to talk about UCF without bringing this up, but they do have 46 hit by pitches on the year at the plate. So just be prepared. Um, Trey Savage, Carter Spivey, Josh Gross, uh, be careful if you're going to pitch them inside because it doesn't matter what year, it doesn't matter what team, but UCF, will be crowding the plate and, you know, just a fun one looking at him, you know, John Reese Pumley, QB one for UCF. He does play for them. He leads off for that. At least he earlier in the year, he was batting lead off for them playing center field, I believe. So he's a really good athlete. They have some really, really nice talent, but it's not going to be easy. I think coming into the year, you know, a couple of weeks out, I was talking about UCF is I think they were my, my series preseason that I was most looking forward to. Because they were the, again, last week we talked about, I think they were the closest thing to quality in the American. And now that you lost to a team that's not quality in Houston, I think you have to bounce back against, again, the closest weekend quality, the closest you're going to get to a quality weekend opponent for the rest of the year is UCF. So I think you need to come out. I think you win it. I think you, you'd like to sweep it, obviously. You want to win a game and play. But this is a weekend to me. It's it, Show me what you made of. You're facing a little adversity right now, but you're back at home. Prove some people wrong. People might be counting you out. Show me what you're made of. Bounce back. Prove everyone wrong. Get back on track. And maybe you start the next deep run and winning streak that you had like last year. Sure. And in years past, UCF, especially early in conference play, we kind of have an inflated record just from the, some of the teams they played. This year, that's not the case. Um, they played Clemson. They played Troy, who's really good. Uh, Florida State, Maryland, who's in the top four or five of, of teams in the Big Ten. Uh, Florida Atlantic, who's got a good program right now. Um, and by the time they play us, they'll have played um, at Miami as well. Um, so, that you know, they played some, some good opponents. So I don't expect them to be intimidated by us, um, you know, they're kind of at this point a program and a school that has really not been intimidated by anybody, um, you know, in athletics for a while. So um, I don't expect them to view us as maybe like the giant that some of these other teams have, have viewed us as where they come in and they're, you know, really excited to play us, but they're, they're going to view us as a team that they think and they should be able to beat. Um, and it's our job to go out and prove them wrong. So, uh, that series starts on Thursday, just a, a scheduling note for, for those listening to, to be ready on Thursday for, for that action to start taking place. Um, so Thursday, Friday, Saturday, um, series this weekend. Um, let's get into predictions. Um, 
Igo texted us earlier. Um, he is predicting them to go. He said four zero. He did four zero for Igo. So his Seattle Mariners through four games are one and three. Um, so hopefully <laughs> um, we'll outperform the, those guys. Um, my Cincinnati Reds just picked up a win over the Cubs to move to three and one. Um, so maybe that's foreshadowing what what uh, your prediction would be, John. Well, no, notice. I'm glad you didn't mention my Nats. Um, they, they did not pick up a win tonight. It just fell to one and three. Uh, that's probably as much as I'll talk about the Nats for a little bit. But you know, I kind of I thought about it earlier. We were texting a little bit earlier too, and I really I didn't know what I was going to predict. Uh, I, and as I'm I'm kind of talking myself through it right now, I still don't know. But I think again, it's an important week. Like I was talking about, you know. You can set all the narratives wrong right now. You, people think you're a crappy midweek team. Come out and be the crap at NC State. I think, like I said, the crowd's going to be in it, really behind the team, fired up. I think you see who wins. And then, you know, I'm not going to lie. Part of me wanted to go 4-0 like Igo did, but since he said it, I'm not going to. But then there was another part of me on the opposite end of the spectrum, and I'm like, gosh, I have no reason to pick him in midweek. And – and I was going to go two and two, but I think I'm just going to kind of settle in the middle and go three and one. I think you're going to beat NC State, get a big win. You're going to win on Friday because you savage is going to do you savage type things. And then I'm going to say you lose on Saturday. I think Carter Spivey is going to bounce back. I think Carter Spivey is going to pitch well against UCF. But I can see, I can see Josh Crow struggle a little bit just with the style of team UCF is, especially with how they crowd the plate. So that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go three and one with a loss on Saturday to end the series. Yeah, I can I can see that too. Um, yeah, I've kind of bounced back and forth over over what I thought we would have happen this week. Um, you know, the, our bullpen concerns is, is definitely an issue there, and then our ability to hit with runners in scoring position is starting to worry me a little bit too. Um, and so I think I'm going to have to go with two and two this week. I know I've predicted 45 and 11. That is separate from this prediction. This is an in-the-moment prediction. That is a – I thought about it for a while before we started the season prediction. I don't know. So, yeah, I'll go two and two this week. I'm not sure which two will lose. But um, I think State can really hit the ball. And not having one of our weekend guys start in that game um, definitely scares me a little bit. Um, having Root coming in, having not pitched for a little bit scares me. Uh, and we still don't know if Sailor will be able to pitch. Um, I think if we knew that Sailor was going to be available, I would probably go three and one with us um, winning that game. Um, but right now, I think State's bats are really hot. Uh, they, they're coming off a big series win against Louisville. They're going to slug the ball. It's going to be a warm night in Greenville. Um, I can see that turning into a bit of a softball game, you know, like a 12 to 11 type thing. And right now, I just haven't seen us hit in clutch situations well enough to pick us to win in a scoring contest. Um, and I think, I think you're right about that Saturday game against UCF. I think that one late turns into kind of a similar scoring contest, um, you know, like maybe like an eight to six type game. Um, and again, you know, like we just have not had the pop in our bats this year that I really wanted to see us and thought we would have. Um, but, you know, really early on, you saw it with Will Cox and Starling, JJC and Moylan, all really being able to hit the ball over the fence. And in the last few weeks, it's felt like Moylan's been our really only home run threat. Obviously, Starling and, and JC both hit one um, this week as well. But, um, yeah, for right now, I hope they prove me wrong. But I'll go with two and two since I goes not here to be the uh, the, the sad boy. <laughs> and uh, pick us to go two and two this week. Um, I like it. And, oh, before you go, Scott, I am for those of you that remember me when I was an intern with Voice of Colors back when me and I go did our um, football game predictions. My specialty that I never got right was a special bonus prediction, and I'm going to break that back out. I'm going to break it out today because I have a feeling for this week, and I said three and one, and. We talked about the offense a lot, but someone I think, you know, Jacob Jenkins Coward, we know what he's capable of. We know what he did last year. And this year, he's still been productive at times, but it's been in a different way. But 
this week is his breakout. I'm calling a three-homer week for Jacob Jenkins Cower. His power will return to his bat. The weather's going to be nice, at least on Tuesday. The weather, rainy. It looks a little rainy over the weekend, but it's going to be warm. This is Jacob Jenkins Coward's breakout. He's back. He's going to be back. He's going to anchor himself in that two-hole. He's going to bring some power back to the lineup. Three-homer week, JJC. You heard it here first. I like it. He's on a five-game hitting streak. Um, I think – um, these opponents that he has come, uh, coming up are definitely gettable as far as getting the ball over the fence. Like I said, that ball on Sunday that he hit, uh, that double off the wall, was as hard hit a ball as I've seen anyone hit um, anywhere in college baseball this year. You know, that's the one thing that the SEC gets that we don't get is the track man numbers where they get exit velocity and stuff. And I, I really wish we had those numbers because – I think it would show that, you know, Moylan and JC have both had balls that have been hit really hard and resulted in outs. And, you know, it's just that's baseball sometimes. Um, I think batting average and balls in play in the majors is up this year without the shift. So maybe college will adopt that and then and then we can uh, have our average go up as well. Um, yeah, so we will – Wrap up there. Thanks for everyone uh, who tuned in to listen. I know uh, you're used to the live show, so listening to this on, uh, you know, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, MySpace, whatever you use today. Um, you know, thanks for listening in, and hopefully we'll have Stephen back soon, and uh, we can be back on live on YouTube. I missed uh, interacting with everyone this week, uh, and we will see you guys next week, same place, same time. All right. See you.